The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. We start in the courts. There's a few big court cases happening today. The one, eight VIP protection officers attached to the deputy president, Paul Mashatile's security detail. They're in court today, as you heard in EWN. There's a formal bail application underway there. Uh, that hearing underway, um, the report about how they were told to show their faces. Because if you've seen footage, you would have seen they've got masks on, they've got hoodies on, we can't see them. They've argued that it's for state security. And that's why, uh, but uh, we were hoping to speak to a reporter there. Unfortunately, the reporters are not actually allowed to leave the courtroom. So we will try and touch base with uh, our reporter who's in there a bit later on in the show. So we're going to start with the Senzo Miyiwa trial in the High Court in Pretoria today. A neighbor is on the stand there, a neighbor of the Kumalos, Kaya Nkashe. He's the second state witness to testify on what he saw on the day that Senzo Miyiwa was killed in 2014. EWN reporter Nokukanya Mtambo in court for us. Nokukanya, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time today. This neighbor, Kaya Ngashe, what has he been testifying about? Good afternoon, Mandy. So proceedings are moving a lot quicker than anticipated today. We are, in fact, even done with Kaya Ngashe, uh, the neighbor who has been testifying, who's actually even been cross-examined, um, and, and that's wrapped up, cross-examined about his recollection. We spoke yesterday about how he recalls coming home from a concert um, and was in his own yard when he heard, uh, you know, some scuffle, uh, some sort of chaos or commotion going on next door. And that's what he found later was uh, the shooting of Sedo Meyi, where the cross-examination really was very straightforward, Mandy, just points of clarity on the part of the counsels for all five accused. The only time I think where there was a bit of a, a back and forth between one of the counsel and the judge was with advocate uh, Zandile Mshololo for the fifth accused. She had a bit of a back and forth with Judge Rata Mohwatling about her line of questioning. She had uh, p- uh, put a, p- a proposition forward to um, the the neighbor, Kaya, saying that Senzo Meiwa had in fact been left unattended by the people in the house, particularly uh, the Kumalo sisters, uh, because the only person that he recalled seeing at the side of Senzo Meiwa after the shooting was Kumalo's mother, Ma Kumalo. Um, and so the proposition was the sisters left him to die. And the judge quickly intervened saying there shouldn't at any point be, you know, that proposition put forward because that's not what the evidence points to. In fact, uh, he, he went on to, 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 to replay some of Zandi's testimony that she had run out to some of the neighbors to try and call for help. And so what she's now putting forward to the witness doesn't uh, collate with what Zandi says that she did in terms of trying to get help. We've now moved on to another neighbor, Tabiseng Mokeke, who was in a, in, a, in a parked car outside um, or nearby the Kumalu residence uh, just after the shooting. And her testimony, which is still underway now, be, uh, you know, being led by the state advocate, uh, George Maloy. So far, what we know of her recollection of the event was there were three shots, which is exactly what Zandi Kumalo had told us previously. Those three shots fired, um, you know, there, there was a bit of a time lapse between the, the, the shots. But after the second shot, interestingly, Mandy, is that uh, she saw a total of three people run out of 
of the of the Kumalo residents towards a nearby park. The first person, um, you know, ran out alone, and then some time after, two people then followed uh, in the direction of the park. We don't know, according to her, yet the identity of those people, but there's a brief description mm-hmm. uh, about them being uh, you, you know, male. All three were, were male, slender, uh, but who exactly they were, uh, that's unclear. But that's where we are now, Mandy, in terms of proceedings with that state, uh, the third state witness, Tabiseng Mukit. Nokukanya, thank you. Nokukanya Mtambo, EWN reporter, giving us uh, that report from the court where the Senzo Miwa matter is happening. Well, let's have a listen in to that, uh, that uh, witness who is another neighbour giving evidence there. As well. And we all then evacuated. Um, there was there was some a, a, a commotion of some sort there at the hospital. Um, because even um, the nurses wanted uh, for the files to be opened as well. So that's another neighbour of the Kumalo family testifying in the Senzo Miyua trial. On 702 and Cape Talk, this is the Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. Specialists who enable your business growth aspirations. So we have another cholera situation in the country. The Department of Health has begun contractor contact tracing efforts after a third positive imported cholera case identified in Durban. Remember last month we had that outbreak of cholera in Hamanskral. The department says a 24-year-old man landed at the King Shaka International Airport around a week ago. Uh, so these cases look like they are in individuals who have travelled from Malawi. Foster Mohale is the Department of Health spokesperson. Foster, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us today. What do we know about these three cases? Are, are they all linked uh, good afternoon to you, uh, Mandy. Good afternoon to your listeners, and thanks for this opportunity. So far, there's no direct link uh, uh, between all these uh, cases. Remember, the first two cases, imported cases, were from Malawi, and the two were linked. But this one is uh, somebody who traveled to the country of uh, Pakistan in a, in a city called Karachi. And uh, as you know, that uh, Pakistan, just like Malawi, are some of the countries that are known to be endemic to cholera. Okay. Uh, And so what's happening now around this contact tracing? How how is that process being uh, followed? Yes, immediately after the the results came positive, uh, our uh, 
uh, outbreak response team, the healthcare workers uh, on the ground, they had to communicate with the uh, patient, say, please identify the people that you you came into contact with. And it was very cooperative, uh, very uh, honest, very uh, working closely with our healthcare workers. They managed to identify the close family members and the friends. And one of the friends is the one that he traveled with uh, to, uh, and I mean, from uh, Pakistan. So unfortunately, none of those, uh, they tested uh, positive. But as you know that the incubation period of a disease uh, like your cholera, it takes about two to five days. So we said as much as they didn't test positive for now, we were going to closely monitor them to check if they develop any symptoms uh, at a later stage. We do know that around 47 people died across the country after testing positive for cholera earlier this year, largely around the Hammanskral area. The Water Research Commission is giving details on its independent analysis. Uh, As the Department of Health, uh, do you have conclusive um, results as to what caused that particular incident yet? Uh, in fact, uh, you, you, you correctly said that uh, in terms of the investigations into the possible uh, cause of uh, this outbreak, those investigations are led by relevant authorities like your department, the Water, water and Sanitation, the Water Commission, the City of Tuan, uh, and other Mahalis Water. So as the Department of Health, we're just uh, cooperative and uh, supporting them with any uh, needed or required information. So we are not in charge as far as the investigations are concerned. So we are just waiting for them, just like the public to hear what could be the findings of the investigation. Foster, thank you so much. Uh, Foster Mohale, the Department of Health spokesperson there, speaking to us about this outbreak. Uh, what do you call it an outbreak? Three cases uh, that have now been identified of cholera in Durban. The Midday Report. On the WhatsApp line, Farai saying, Afternoon, Mandy. I'm not impressed and uh, talking here about the response by the city of Joburg to that blast. The communication and tech used is impressive, but... Electricity has not been restored. We don't know what caused the blast. Repairs to the road have not started. I appreciate the communication, but businesses, traffic, etc. are no closer to operating as usual. I know I sound harsh, but if this were a project, there would be no deliverables. You could show your stakeholders. That's the response to the question that I was asking about whether or not you've been impressed by the response by the city of Joburg. We've had regular briefings by the city manager. Uh, The mayor, not so much. I mean, he's been around, but I don't think he's inspired confidence. Uh, So uh, just before we came on air, Floyd Brink, the Joburg city manager, was holding a briefing. And he spoke about the fact they are looking at declaring a a state of disaster in the city to deal with some of those issues. He also spoke about the water restoration. Have a listen. The damage to the main um, water main along Brea and Joburg Street has also been repaired and the water has been um, restored to the affected blocks. Now, in in Brea, you, you, you do have two main lines on both sides of the road. And for every, and as you move diagonally on, on those intersections, you've got T pieces linked in there as well, just to ensure that there's a ring, ring feed in terms of the, the water flow linked to the water pressure. <clears throat> the damage on, on the water main on Brian Lovely Streets was repaired, but experienced some leaks due to the alignment issues. Now what happened there in that area, as I've indicated, there's also T pieces diagonally to, to the main to the main lines. So at the time when the damage occurred, it also then damaged part of those three pieces and it made it difficult for the team yesterday to align back to the opposite side of the road. And the team had to come up with innovative ways of really trying to make the connection and it is usually referred to as a, a washroom connection like 
moving around a particular area in order to align the pipes. So that is the work that is carrying on on site, and, and part of that work will be completed by this afternoon. As a city, it has been paramount importance for us to restore the services to our residents in the area as a matter of urgency, and that is the reason why the level of commitment and effort of our officials you would have seen to ensure that we restore this, um, the services to the people, and we can indicate to you they've done extremely well and they've achieved those particular milestones and targets that we have set. We, will, we wish to thank the residents of the area for their patience and their consideration, and we will continue to monitor the area for any disruptions that may occur as a result of the work that is still being undertaken in that area. As you are aware, investigations are still inconclusive on the cause of the explosion. What may have ignited the gas or the source of the gas in the underground tunnels. So that is the city manager, Floyd Brink, giving a briefing earlier on explaining water's been restored to some parts of the city, uh, but not all of them, the city trying to restore services as well. Well, there has been some reaction uh, to what's been happening there from the SA National Taxi Council, Santaco. It wants the city of Joburg to consider implementing measures to reduce traffic congestion in the CBD, because we do have a situation now with one of the main thoroughfares in Lillian and Goy Street, previously known as Bree Street, uh, that has been closed off. So because of that, the taxis have been forced to use alternative routes. Let's try and understand what Santaco wants now. Tabo Moila is the spokesperson who joins us to speak about this. Tabo, good afternoon to you. What would Santaco like the city to do in the Joburg CBD? Uh, good afternoon and good afternoon to the learners. Uh, as Santaco would like uh, uh, the Joburg uh, city to make an alternative route for the taxis and also to make an uh, alternative uh, loading base for the cars because our people were getting off and on on the bridge street, which now they can't use because of the, explo- uh, the exploitation. Uh, because of the explosion, right. So, so have you been engaging with the city on this? Have you put forward some kind of proposal? Yes, uh, we are busy with the city to approve, uh, put proposals that we want to use uh, maybe other streets like uh, uh, the BRT lanes that uh, the BRT is using so that maybe uh, temporarily they could allow the taxis. The proposal has been put on the table. We are just waiting for them to respond. And is this something, Tabo, that you've canvassed uh, with your, your drivers? Have they been reporting difficulties to you that you're looking at doing this now? Uh, the challenges has been there. So the drivers most are used to our challenges. But uh, for now, it's because uh, of the ex- uh, exploita- exposition that we, uh, we had there, that now the only thing they found that is difficult for them to make normal loads that they were doing. They are doing a reduced load because of the convoys. Okay, right. And one of your suggestions also is to convert uh, two-way streets to single lane use during peak traffic hours. Do you think that's viable? Do you think that that could be properly enforced in the Joburg CBD where things are already a bit chaotic? That's what, that's what we proposed. I mean, that was a proposal. But if uh, the proposal can be met, I think the... It will have to come with an alternative on that.
Okay, then we'll welcome it. Tabo, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your time. Uh, Tabo Moila, the spokesperson for Santaco, they have put forward suggestions there of what they would like to see happening. Uh, things are a bit chaotic. Have you been driving around uh, the city centre lately since that closure? It's a main thoroughfare. We know that it feeds the Bree Street taxi rank as well, the Lillian and Goy closure. So what kind of impact is that happening, having uh, on motorists in the Joburg CBD? And do you think the suggestions from Santaco are viable? The Midday Report. Lots of response coming into that question I asked you about the Joburg CBD, whether or not you think the response has been impressive. I suppose impressive is a big word. It's a loaded word. Do you think it's been satisfactory, the fact that they are having regular briefings? Uh, We've seen drones being used. I tweeted some footage a bit earlier on of uh, some of the drones going inside the pipes and actually having a look at the damage and the corrosion that's happening, uh, that's happened there. Let me know your thoughts on that. So from Joburg to Tuane now, workers from the Tuane Municipal municipality are holding a march today demanding salary salary increments so increase uh, increases uh, in april the 20 council passed the 2023-24 budget there were no salary increases for all municipal employees in the current fiscal Samu, the Municipal Workers Union in Tswane, is demanding salary increases of between 3.5 and 5.4%. So Samu are marching today. The Provincial Secretary, Mpo Tladinyani, saying they'd be handing over a memorandum of demands to the Tswane municipality. So that's happening at the moment. The Tswane Executive Mayor, Celia Brunk, saying the cash-strapped capital city cannot afford the salary hikes and approach the bargaining council for an exemption this financial year. So uh, we are trying to get hold of Mpo Tladinyani to speak to us about that. Mpo on the line now joining us. Mpo, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for your time. I know you... Hello. Hello. Are you with us? Yeah. No, no, we can talk. Let me just move off the... Okay. Uh, I was, yes. So, Mpo, you are live on 702 in Cape Talk. Um, just to, okay. to let us know what's happening with this uh, Samuel March uh, today. You are marching in Tswane. You are uh, marching from the old Patco dep- uh, depot at Eskampaklele, uh, going through the Joburg CBD. What is your gripe? What are you marching about? No, no. We, we, you will remember that uh, we signed an, uh, a collective agreement with uh, Elga at Samu in 2021. And part of that particular collective agreement was saying that we were supposed to be paid a 3.5 salary increase in 2021. Uh, so, so that particular money was not paid uh, to, to, to work out the city of Tuan. Other municipalities paid, but the city of Tuan did not pay. So, so the other thing is that uh, today, uh, workers were supposed to be given their 5.4 salary increase uh, as, as the final leg of that particular collective agreement. But we have also realized that the city did not uh, pay as per the collective agreement. So we are here to raise all those particular matters and ensure that indeed uh, the executive mayor ensures that workers are paid what is, uh, what is due to them. The point that the executive mayor has made is that the city doesn't have any money and if they don't have money, they can't pay municipal workers. So how do they remedy that? Yeah, no, we, we have heard a number of statements coming from the executive mayor alleging financial distress and other financial uh, challenges. But you see, uh, as much as they might be saying those things, but the conduct of the city uh, is something, uh, it says something different. If, if for example, you have been observant, we, we, we have been informed uh, in the last two months or so that the city spent 250 million rands at Rival Wastewater uh, 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 Project uh, for work that was never done by a particular well-known company. Uh, just two weeks back, we also learned that the city paid uh, one company called Achille 
500 million rand, and the Auditor General uh, red flagged that particular contract. As if that was not enough, uh, another 700 million was paid for an ICE contract, and the person who was then uh, uh, you know, uh, given that particular contract did not even meet the requirement right. uh, as per that particular contract. So, so we simply say the money is there, is that the city is not uh, uh, managing its affairs properly to ensure that we are paid as workers. Mpo, thank you very much uh, for chatting to us. Mpo Kladini speaking to us. Uh, They're the spokesperson uh, for Samu. They are marching today, protesting in the Twani CBD. The Midday Report. These taxi guys, they want their their own special roads and their special drop-off points. They also want their their taxis to be subsidized after that uh, gas explosions. These guys, they want everything, but they don't even pay tax. They must start paying tax first, you know. Where where is that money going to come from? Because they must pay tax, then that's when they can be able to, the government can be able to do all 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 these things for them. If our health system is so great that it can find all these cholera cases so very, very quickly, can I please not go work in Treasury and go and check where all our tax money has been going to? Wow, these guys must be some auditors of notes. Although I think SARS is doing a pretty good job at the moment. I'm not sure that they need uh, health department officials. Hey, do taxi drivers pay, pay tax? Hmm, it's a cash business. So do they pay their taxes? Hmm, not so sure. Maybe some taco. Oh, and it's an exploitation, not an explosion in, in the Joburg CBD that, that happened, according to Santaco. Uh, look, they want uh, amendments to be made in the Joburg CBD. They're complaining about the traffic issues. I can understand the issues around Lillian and Goy Street. It's such a busy road that they want um, the, the city to turn some of the one ways into, uh, or two ways into one ways and fixing that in different drop-off points. If it's going to ease the flow and if the city planners are good at then I can understand it. Um, but if it's just a special treatment for the taxi industry, then no, I don't agree. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on 702 at Cape Talk. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. See money differently. The economic freedom fighters uh, are celebrating 10 years of existence. And it was 10 years ago that the EFF uh, was founded in Marikana. And so uh, Julius Malema, the EFF, are uh, in Marikana today, busy marking that. We've seen lots of celebrations and all sorts of events taking place over the past few weeks, really. Uh, Tsiri Madia in studio to talk to us about that. Also about an interview uh, that she's done on politicking uh, with uh, the EFF's uh, spokesperson. Person's now Tambo. Uh, so, Tidi, 10 years on, how would you gauge, how would you describe uh, the state of the EFF? Good afternoon, Mandy. I think it's a party that's still trying to find itself. You know, they keep telling everyone they're a government and waiting. I think they're far from it. But I do think what you can't take away from the EFF is that it injected energy into political mobilization in the country. You can't ignore the fact that it's made certain issues more urgent or brought them back into the public discourse. Think about land. I think South Africans have forgotten that land is an unanswered question, has to be resolved, and they've managed to put that in the in the public domain, although Parliament, of course, hasn't gone as far enough as resolving the land question so 
Um, I think it's a mixed bag, Mandy. More so because you also have a party that doesn't necessarily want to be held accountable for some of its actions. When you think about issues like VBS and the links to to the EFF, when you think about this militant style of leadership that you see, and the fact that the questions of succession are never really fully answered properly because a party is equated really to an individual, and that's the leader, Julius Malema. Well, what does the EFF say about that? As far as they're concerned, in, in terms of their, their public statements, do they believe that the party exists beyond Julius Malema? Is there a succession plan? They love saying that it exists beyond Julius Malema, but that's a hard one to see, isn't it? In terms of succession, Mandy, I think it emulates a lot of what the NC does, where you have multiple generations serving alongside one another. If you pay attention to their members in parliament or some of their councillors, you've got people who are a little bit older, and that works in the ANC because those generations have been part of a party culture. The problem with EFF is it is only 10 years, so it's very hard to try and build up a culture. In fact, some analysts warn that you must worry when you t- bring in people like Ace Mahashule if they go ahead and do that because he brings with him the cultures and practices and contestations that were in the ANC and not developed in the EFF itself. And then looking towards 2024, uh, talk of the EFF and the ANC being in coalition, various scenarios. How does the party see itself doing next year? I think I spoke to Sinawa Tambo, who is on Politrick in this week, the spokesperson, and we spoke about the difficulty because the terrain that they're looking at also has a patriotic alliance and an action essay, and immigration will be a big ticket come 2024. Here are some of his thoughts. And what the EFF is facing, mm. what do you see? It's going to be a difficult immigration question in the 2024 national elections of South Africa. And I think it's something that is, a, there's a huge sort of right-wing rise of anti-immigration the whole world over. And uh, there's a political bandwagon of jumping onto it in France, in Eastern Europe, in America, and also South Africa. So it's like a flu going around where you have to be anti-immigration in order to galvanize the frustrations of the people in the country that you live in. It's going to be a difficult election for the EFF in terms of that messaging because Immigration is a sensitive issue for our people in South Africa. Like They get extremely uh, uh, uproared about it. There's a sense of, I think, misguided patriotism because it's not based on uh, access to socioeconomic communities that are actually of any value. I mean, foreign nationals in South Africa, you can kick all of them out. It's not going to create jobs. It's not going to grow our economy. So it's going to take difficult work, difficult uh, working with messaging in terms of the immigration question, because we can see the rise of Patriotic Alliance, the rise of Action SA, and even the ANC is starting to change its messaging around borders and around immigration yes, because they can, see, they can see the electoral opportunity in it. So the EFF is going to have to remain principled to what it stood for, and it's going to have to take it on the chin in terms of delivering the same message we've been delivering and explaining to our people that the murder or eviction of foreign nationals in the country is not going to change this situation. So now Tambo, the spokesperson for the EFF, they're speaking to Tilly Madia. You can go listen to uh, that uh, entire episode of Politricking on ewn.co.za. Cape Talk, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. So from the EFF uh, to the DA, the DA is marching against amendments to the Employment Equity Act Day, that march taking place uh, from Darling Street to Parliament. It's being led by the DA leader, John Steenhuizen. President Sir Ramaphosa signed the Employment Equity Amendment Act 4 of 2022 into law. The DA is marching against that. And Tutuzelo Nene, EWN reporter, following that for us. Tutuzelo, good afternoon to you. What is the DA saying about the Employment Equity Act? Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, that march has just ended. Um, the DA marched to Parliament this morning. Um, so that march has just ended. Uh, basically, what the DA is saying is that 
they're not happy about the amendments um, to the Act. Um, they believe that the amendments will divide the country along racial lines and that, you know, it, it will constrain South Africans and that uh, the Employment Equity Amendment Bill will actually do the opposite of what it claims to do. And um, DA leader John Stianhazen, a short while ago, he addressed the, the crowd um, outside Parliament gates, and this is what he had to say about the, the, the bill itself. This act will completely ban the employment of coloured and Indian South Africans in certain provinces and sectors. It says in black and white, and for Kili Imbalula, he's dreaming. He's dreaming, he says, oh, that's not what the act says. It says it in black and white. The quota for employment of colored people in the agricultural sector in Limpopo and in Pumalanga is 0.0. .0. 0.0. So that's John Steenhuizen uh, leading that march. It has just finished. Thanks to Ntuzelo Nene for bringing us that uh, that audio. The march is against amendments to the Employment Equity Act. The midday report. So yesterday, news breaking that the Competition Tribunal has approved Takatso Aviation's proposed acquisition of a 51% stake in SAA, South African Airways. But there are conditions. And these conditions include, firstly, a moratorium on retrenchments, um, but also a sale of the stake held by minority shareholders. So the minority shareholders have indicated that they are willing to sell. They don't want to. They've expressed regret at the need to doing so. And of course, uh, this includes Global Aviation and Cyrenix. They co-own Lyft Airlines as well. This was sought to avoid decreasing competition in the domestic passenger market. Tula Sizwe Similani is the Takatso Aviation spokesperson. Tula Sizwe, good afternoon to you. Thanks for, for joining us today. What is the reaction of Takatso Aviation to this decision by the tribunal? forward, uh, Mandy, in the trajectory and the history of this transaction. And also, uh, it really sets us on a course where we can see the path forward uh, in terms of fulfilling all the other uh, transaction-related obligations. This was a big one. If we are talking about a list of obligations, the so-called conditions precedent that must be fulfilled before uh, this transaction is implemented, in other words, before uh, everything is done and dusted in terms of Dakato's uh, acquisition of 51% share ownership at SAA, if you think about that list, the clearance of these two steps uh, within the competition regulatory uh, process, uh, the Competition Commission a few months ago and the Competition Tribunal now, these are major milestones that really set the uh, transaction on a course towards uh, financial close. So the one, no retrenchments, that's, uh, th th that doesn't necessarily have a timeline to it. But uh, if we see the disinvestment by the minority shareholders, how long could that take? And, and uh, can you put a timeline generally on, on how, how swiftly this can all move? Well, the timeline for the whole issue around no retrenchments, there is one. It basically talks to a period of five years after and from the point of implementation of the uh, of this transaction for a period of five years there should be no 
merger-related uh, retrenchments at SAA, and any retrenchments, including retrenchments for operational reasons uh, that may be proposed, will be treated uh, as, as a matter of uh, you know, presumption uh, by the competition authorities will be treated as being merger-related. The timelines around the divestment of Dagazo minority shareholders I cannot put a timeline to that. All I can say is that uh, it is a condition precedent. It means that we cannot implement uh, this transaction until that is attained and engagements are ongoing uh, between the shareholders and those engagements are in cooperative uh, and collaborative uh, and cordial uh, spirit to try and expedite uh, the implementation of that requirement. In terms of the transaction itself and its a point of implementation, well, this was a major milestone, as I said, and I think uh, we are quite anxious as Dagato uh, to, with, so, to see uh, the collaboration uh, with all stakeholders to expedite uh, the point of implementation of this transaction because we believe the moment is ripe for SAA to be fully uh, you know, mm. capitalized and allowed to soar uh, in these conditions uh, that do allow for that right. uh, in terms of financial performance. Tulas, thank you very much. Uh, Tulas Iswe Similani, the Takato Aviation spokesperson there, uh, responding to that news yesterday, the competition, competition tribunal approving Takato Aviation's proposed acquisition of a 51% stake in South African Airways with conditions. The Midday Report. So you may have seen a video going viral on social media of a substitute teacher at the Crawford International Pretoria College who uh, was writing on a whiteboard derogatory comments uh, seen to be promoting racism. The Gauteng Education MEC, Matome Chilowane, has uh, put out a statement supporting the dismissal of this substitute teacher. The department visited the school today. Steve Mabona is the Gauteng Education Department spokesperson joining us now. Steve, good afternoon to you. Uh, the department has visited the school uh, what steps have been taken and what is the department doing uh, good afternoon Mindy, and to all our listeners so we visited the school with the officials from independent schools those are you know responsible for registering and deregistering schools and um, we wanted to understand on what uh, might have transpired there we really got an explanation from the school which uh, conceded that uh, what happened was uh, unacceptable and uh, they've already dismissed the uh, you know, educator and uh, the educator will also be reported to say so that she's not even allowed to get an opportunity to stand in front of our children in the near future. The argument from what I understand from your statement is that the educator was teaching provocative language, allegedly told learners they must not be hurt when the K-word is used on them because they were not affected by apartheid. Uh, your department's response to that is that it's vehemently unacceptable um, and it has undeniable racist undertones as well. What is being done now to um, provide counselling to the learners or, or to just review how this is taught in this particular school and in other schools as well? You see, the unfortunate part is that the substitute teacher was there even just for five days. So she came there, ruined the reputation of educators that are doing their work there. Now they must face the public, uh, you know, with the shame of, uh, you know, they're associated with, the, with such racist, uh, you know, tendencies. But what we did was to make sure that the school started the process of counseling. They started today because this incident occurred on Monday. 
So they started with the counselling, but also interacting with the parents. And um, we mm. suggested that they must also interact with their employees and support employees as well, because they will be going through a lot on that. Steve, thank you very much. Uh, Steve Mabona is the Gauteng Department of Education spokesperson reacting there to that viral video uh, of that uh, teacher uh, that uh, went, went viral at the Crawford College in Pretoria. The Midday Report. We've spoken about lots of very serious things. Uh, we've spoken about cholera and murder and court cases and all sorts of stuff. And through the entire show, Nick Rabinovitz has been sitting next to me listening to all of these very serious interviews because he's here to talk about his new show, uh, which launched last night at the Sandton Theatre on the Square. It's called Rambunctious. Yes. Nick, you've had commentary throughout on every interview I've done. It's yeah. all pretty, um, pretty compelling. It's pretty hair-raising country we live in right now, isn't it? Uh, it is indeed. Yeah. How much weirder can it get? Oh, no, it can definitely. I mean, every day I always say, like, I never know what's actually going to happen on air because anything can happen in this country. Yeah. I mean, I have great respect for the, the job that you're doing here, Mandy. It's a service to the nation and for those people who think uh, it's an exploitation. Visit Bree Street. There you'll see an exploitation. Because there was an exploitation, yeah. according to Santaco on Bree Street today. You arrived just in time for that. I'm, I'm, I'm here for the first time since my uh, exploitation in 2022, when ISIS threatened to exploit me in Santon at the same time as the Pride Parade. So if anyone um, doesn't remember, the last time Nick was in town was when the U.S. Embassy put out an alert that ISIS was uh, apparently going to target us, and yes. you were one of the key targets. So that was great for sales because your show was booked out. Yeah, it was amazing PR, and this time around, uh, there's been nothing happening on the terrorism front. So I, I've I thought had the Russians had... Well, that's. I actually think I'm staying next door to the U.S. Embassy. I've tried to alert them. Because uh, apparently there's been a Russian threat uh, on my show because it's at the same time as the BRICS summit. The Ukrainians, sorry. The Ukrainians threatened to blow up. Uh, did you not hear about this? has not been featured on your… The breaking news? Yeah. No, but we do have some audio of this Yes, I recently news. acquired this uh, through my sources. Should we play it? Let's play it, KG. And now, breaking news. Russia today can confirm real reason President Vladimir Putin pulled out of upcoming BRICS summit in Johannesburg is because Ukraine threatened to blow up Santon Convention Center as well as comedy show by comedian of Russian descent Nick Rabinovich. Nick Rabinovich, who's of Russian descent, which, I mean, uh, you know, very concerning to the Ukraine. I actually am of Russian descent, uh, Mandy. In fact, recently I met an Eastern European woman who said to me, you want lap dance? She was actually quite aggressive. And then uh, in the middle of it, she, this is not recently, actually, well, it's a few years ago. In, in case yeah, yeah, yeah. I've told the story in a previous show. But she, uh, she told me that she, she knew Rabinovich because Rabinovich is a character in many Russian jokes. Uh, it's always like Rabinovich walking to a bar with uh, Englishmen, Irishmen, blah, blah, blah. Rabinovich say something, everybody's laughing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so Rabinovich is the funny guy. Uh, he's like, we're basically the fundamentals of Russia. Oh, actually. amazing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, so as I said, I don't know if that's a credible threat. No, I don't think just... so. I don't think that's going to get people to buy tickets. So what can people expect from Rambunctious if they want to come and, and watch <laughs> so the show? So disappointing. What can they expect? 
Uh, well, they can expect uh, a, com- a comedy show. I always tell people that's what you should expect. Um, but it is it is what's... Um, I actually talk about ISIS. What the whole, I go into detail what happened to me last year uh, and all the things surrounding that. My recent trip to North America where I was subjected to unlimited uh, electricity for a period of up to two weeks. What does that feel like? Bad. I had withdrawal symptoms, actually. From load shedding? Yeah. Oh, why? I did. No, because we don't realize the dopamine that we get. When when you get that ESCOM push notification that says 55 minutes till the... There's actual actual chemical reaction that, that happens in the body. And when the lights come back on, you get the thrill of that as well. And I didn't have any of that. It's like a drug. We're all addicted to load shedding in yeah. South Africa. It's also the only... I think it's the only glue, that remaining social cohesive glue that we have left. Uh, it's, I think it's actually uniting us. As a, uh, anyway, I elaborate on these themes, and you look like you're like, no, it's not. Well, it is. Without load shedding, I think we would disintegrate. We would no longer be a nation state. Anyway, I philosophize on these and other things, uh, Mandy. So I always speak about the fact that um, we, we deal with hard news every day. And it's so important to have light and shade. And one of the, the um, redeeming features of South Africans is that we have this ability to laugh at ourselves. Yes. That we are able to, to see the humor and to, to find levity, um, be it in a Nando's advert or whatever it may be, we find ways to laugh at ourselves. How important is it that, that you can look at the news cycle, like you just did through, through my entire show, and find things to laugh at, even when you don't think they're that funny? Well, I think it's critical to our collective mental health. Uh, I mean, would you not say when you when you have you sit here dealing with it every single day? How does it impact you, Maddie? How are you feeling? I mean, would you like to speak to my therapist about this? Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I actually recently attended therapy with my mom. I actually talk about this in the show. I actually went to couples therapy with my mom and the comedian sculptor Sad Note. Uh, yes, how did that go? Well, you have to come to the show. <laughs> But it ended in quite a weird way, which I'll share uh, more about in the actual show. But I think it is, it is, it is vital that we find levity, that we find a way. What did you say? Light and shade. It's important. We speak about light and shade in the news cycle all the time. You have to throw shade as much as possible. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. And we need that, that shade up ducky over the coal so it doesn't get wet. Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I was sitting here thinking, how much more of this can we handle? Uh, where's it all going to? How much weirder will it all get? You never know at the new cycle in South Africa. So anything could happen. Anything. Nick, so um, you are on at the Sandton Theatre of the, on the Square for yes. two weeks in Joburg uh, for Rambunctious. If people want to come watch you? Yeah, they can book. Do you pay them? At CompuTicket. Uh, some of them I will pay to be there. Um, I'll pay you to come. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Nick. As always, um, watch out for the terrorist threats. Um, yes, no more so exploitations, let's hope. No more. Ex- we'll leave the exploitation to the taxi drivers on Bree Street. Uh, Nick Rubinowitz in studio chatting to us about Rambunctious. Thanks for so much for coming in. Thank you, Mandy. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.